0: Today is October 5th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, Chestokomaki. My name is Michelle Robinson. My spirit name, well, my actual name is Red Thunder Woman, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S. Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Ganai, and Bagania, the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakota, composed of the Wesley, Chinakee, and Paw Nations, and the Dene from the Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot and as the elders and members have been kind to me on my Red Road journey. Uh, Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis as Michelle Elliott, another English name, which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slaving Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian. I am a daughter of the Mayflower, a daughter of the American Revolution, and I have an Indian Act and post status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty Seven signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty eleven. I am a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene Nation is a visitor to this area called Kuncho Tine Indhe in Satu Dene, meaning many horse town which was named after the Calgary Stampede. Uh, Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer place for Indigenous, as well as honouring the host as a guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies to Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I share what I know as I walk down my red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today and want to talk, the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline is 1-855-242-3310. It is toll free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Non-Indigenous, there are distress lines in your area as well. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge in support. I wanna say thank you to my previous donors for already showing your support to the show. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those that cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or your questions. I also have a YouTube channel and would love to have you subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest uh, podcast updates and usually the pin post on my social medias. I want to give a special shout out to my super loyal donors: Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Ben, Beth, Brian, Cat, Celine, Christina, Crystal, Diana, Jacqueline, uh, Jana, Jenny, Jessica, Jocelyn, Judy, Karen, Kathy, Kenna, Leah, Lisi, Marisa, Melissa, Morami, Natalie, Nathan, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Shara, Sharon, Tammy, Tiffany, Vanessa, and Veronica. And with that, I want to uh, introduce and welcome my, my guest, Carl. Carl, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hi, Michelle, and thank you. Your land acknowledgement is amazing. Well, oh, thanks. I enjoy listening to it. Welcome to Westlock. Multiple municipalities operate settler privilege within the Métis homeland, as well as treaties 6 and 8. My name is Carl Mackay. My Métis identity survived the foster care system, also known as the Sixties Scoop or Millennium Scoop. My historical connection to Métis indigeneity is through my late grandfather, Francis Mackay, born 1902 at St. John, North Dakota. He spent his childhood on a Red River cart. My contemporary Métis community is established with the Alberta Métis Federation as we move forward down the many roads of reconciliation. Thank you for taking the time to see me show.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you, you came on. Uh, so you actually are uh, one of my regulars on Twitter. So I'm really grateful that uh, you wanted to be on the show. And I'd love to have you expand a little more on, on your opening statement and maybe some other uh, things that you wanted to talk about there.
1: Absolutely, and thank you for the platform to um, speak in regards to reconciliation specifically. Um, my focus uh, with our our Zoom chat today Michelle would be to focus on how we can advance reconciliation um, in the West Lock Peace River region uh, specifically um, which is where I, I reside and uh, um, I don't raise my family in it because of the lack of reconciliation and uh, I'll conclude with that at the end. Um, so I've got a little bit of a statement prepared on reconciliation in this area so I'll just go ahead and and make a quick statement. And then if you had some, something you wanted me to clarify for you, or you want, there was something else you wanted to, me to elaborate on that was not in my statement, I'd be delighted to answer any questions, Michelle.
0: Yeah, sure, we'll just expand on we uh, go. I appreciate it.
1: Great, so Thanksgiving promotes opportunity re- to reflect on our past and give thanks for life's simple pleasures and complex gifts. Clearly, Westlock is thankful to Alberta for harvesting land. Gratitude of settlers is abundant. Westlock has a grain terminal, RCMP Mountie Park, a tractor museum, a pioneers museum, Hazel Bluff Community Hall, and a recognition placard for Dr. Whistle. Something missing is land acknowledgement of the Métis homeland and our treaty partners. Promoting inclusive relationships with everyone will advance reconciliation with Indigenous partners. We can improve the relationship between RCMP and citizens by reducing the presence of police force and replace it with police assistance. All citizens must have access to justice and safety. From my perspective, absence of Treaty land acknowledgement and Metis homeland recognition has compelled me to raise my family elsewhere. Westlock is behind other communities where recognition is resilient. Westlock demographics reflect a large percentage of the population is senior citizens. Some families move to Westlock because their income threshold presents challenges solved by affordable housing. Mostly, People enjoy small town living after working the family farm until incapacitated. There are opportunities to unite our rural and local population while removing barriers. Remove unification barriers by promoting reconciliation. Suggestions to promote reconciliation are, one, install treaty flag and Métis flags at the grain terminals, two, hire Indigenous police officers. Three, land acknowledgement during board meetings with county and provincial administration. Four, land acknowledgement on signs. Five, healing circles. Six, invite Indigenous partners to county meetings. I invite you Mayor LeRégé of Westlock and MLA Glenn Van Dyken to review those considerations. Offering solutions to promote reconciliation reflects authentic attempts to unite our population during a historical shift in our socioeconomic structures. Protesting is a last resort for anyone that experiences neglect from their government. We can build a proper, prosperous future together, starting today.
0: Thank well, that's you. a great statement. Let's break some of that down. That sounds really lovely. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that this is such a relevant conversation. Uh, right now, we have such a rural urban divide here in Alberta. We have a lot of conversations about anti-racism in the rural setting. Um, this is where that Pinocchio violent protest came from. And uh, they recently had one yesterday and Global actually named the white supremacists as barbecue enthusiasts. So um, it's a real conversation to have about, you know, there are real solutions. Yet our leadership, when we come to the table with these um, ideas and proposals, just ignore them. And yet there's funding for reconciliation. There's literally funding to have these types of conversations. And uh, the way the structural, um, you know, boundaries of this money, it is a sad point to say that, you know, low hanging fruit, I think you came to the table with some really great suggestions and ideas. It's low hanging fruit, it's easy to implement, There's monies on reconciliation and yet there's such a pushback when it comes to, you know, common Joe. So um, yeah, tell me a little bit about what inspired you to be even having these conversations.
1: Um, I've basically what it comes down to is it, it starts with me rediscovering my Métis identity. Uh, It's kind of where it starts and we are, We get to where we are today because I talk about my indigeneity and right away uh, notice the negative body language from people, um, other signs that are just there that need to be removed. These are barriers. We're not going to be able to have a progressive conversation, a respectful conversation, if we can just remove those racial and sexual barriers, whatever they might be. And I I think we agree on so many different levels, Michelle. And uh, um, for me, uh, getting involved with the reconciliation side of it as a a settler uh, began during the last federal election. Uh, I was encouraged to help Leslie Penny with her campaigning on the federal election here because there's just zero um, people willing to help the Liberal Party up in this area at all and uh, so I really wanted to show them the Liberal Party of Canada how grateful I was for their efforts on reconciliation and recognizing Indigenous peoples all together by volunteering my time to the Liberal Party of Canada during the last election and that's kind of evolved since then. Um, uh, The candidate actually invited me to join Toastmasters and a couple other places to work on public speaking She's asked for feedback uh, as an Indigenous person, and uh, um, and uh, there was also a, a really bad experience with the RCMP. And I've had multiple bad experiences with the RCMP. Um, gosh, there's got to be at least ten of them. And I'm just outraged. I've got a clean record. I've I've always contributed to society. I, I mean, why do they want to decide that I'm guilty before you can me in front of a judge? But anywho, um, <laughs> I kind of just have to let that go and not let it be about me anymore. And You know, I,
0: I applaud that, but I'm grateful you shared it because um, I think that non-Indigenous just cannot wrap their brain around the fact of how often we are surveilled. And, and you'll hear it in my closing statement when I talk about the surveillance of Indigenous people and I I have never met an Indigenous person that's had like nothing but good things to say about cops and obviously yesterday a little more triggering for me uh, Sisters in Spirit vigil days and we get to hear um, people's direct experiences with police you know and the injustices that they face with police and we got to hear firsthand how uh, the police used one family who had a loss to arrest a brother like it's just it's never ending. There's so much injustice when it comes to the way the Canadian police treat us. And so, like, I don't, like, I appreciate that, you know, obviously we have to move on. We have to try to work on systemic change. But the point is, non-Indigenous Canadians do not have to do this. I do. You do. They have to. Well, many people do. And yet Canadian Indigenous, or and, and non-Indigenous Canadians never, they, they can't even comprehend bad experiences with the police they can't comprehend having to just you know personally move forward and work on structural change and they just cannot wrap their brain that this is the experience for Indigenous people nationally and this is why I don't care if we abolish the police because just how Jean Chrétien uh, abolished that whole Calgary component of um, uh, folks in the army that burnt that little boy over a fire and he just wiped them I said you're done I mean that's how I feel about policing in Canada because it's so um grossly gr- grotesquely um in favor of of non-indigenous to our expense and you have to live with that uh trauma I have to live with that trauma and uh, this generation is on, you know ongoing genocide and thank god they haven't killed you but that's that's the problem we should never say that in a so-called just society so I don't want to um you know, I, I appreciate your your point of, you know, I, I have to move on. And I, I understand that. But I'm just going to point it out one more time to, on my podcast that this is our reality.
1: It, and it is a reality. And I, I, I'd love to talk about it more on um, um, uh, exa- exactly why we're experiencing these um, um, systemic inequalities from the RCMP or any police force. Uh, um <sighs> Yeah, and you're right. Non-Indigenous people didn't have to experience it, and, and to be honest with you, I didn't really have a problem with the police until I started understanding my Métis identity uh, and uh, why that was stolen through the foster care system, and and uh, and then that kind of you know hits home, and you go, okay, well, you know, you get this kind of like, why are the RCMP picking on me, or, you know, and and so there's barriers on both sides that need to be removed. I want to be able to remove that barrier and say. I have faith in calling the police. I'm not scared to call 911, but I am. Yep. Last time I called 911, they didn't show up. It was 4 o'clock in the morning. There was car looters parked in front of my house, getting out of their car, going around the block and trying to open unlocked doors of cars so they could loot their car. The RCMP told me, that I should approach them and tell them to go go away. And I was like, what? It's like 3.30 in the morning. These guys are, I don't know, they're definitely using drugs in their vehicle. You can see all kinds of lighters flicking and pop cans with lighters on them or whatever they were doing. I'm not sure. I didn't take a picture. I got a picture of their plate. And when I went to give the picture of the plate to their sergeant the next day, he laughed at me. Well, how do you know that was them? Can you prove that who was walking out of that car? And I just said, you want my support and you want me to help you fight crime here i am helping you would you like me to help you today
0: no honestly and i tell people this when i report my hate crimes and stuff like you, you think they're there to serve you and help you but they're not you have to do every bit of leg work mm-hmm. so unless you have your video camera and you're videotaping From the moment you see it, down the stairs, out the door, to the license plate, have the conversation with the person, call nine one one while on the like. They are ridiculous. They they can't do any work. That's what it's not real policing. If they if they could, if they could actually convict somebody of something, but no, they don't. That Colton Bushi's case is a great example where they just Mm -hmm. let the rain wash all the evidence away. They were perfectly okay with that. They walk around crime scenes on a regular basis, they are useless.
1: Yeah, the Bushy case hits home with me. Um, there's so many factors in that specific investigation that were just atrocious. And uh, um, why somebody was allowed to safely carry a known firearm that's known for randomly going off. There's no way it randomly went off within um, five meters of that man's face. Uh, I'm so sorry that Colton Bushi had to experience that and we experience that every day. Uh, Regardless of what Mr. Bushi and company were doing, they were there asking for help for their car. Um, And that's what I see and that's how I want to remember Mr. Uh, Bushi. It's unfortunate that Gerald Stanley wants to get rich off of the situation. He's sold his farm and he's made a book, him and his lawyer are rich off it it's disgusting i wouldn't even buy a book like that i might buy it and throw it in the river and make a video of it um <laughs> so yes there is so many cases like that isn't there michelle i mean they, and then you go into the mmiwg and it's a whole other thing and uh you know and we seen it yesterday with the uh, the red deer to calgary um, parade and uh there's just so many cases out there that I, I wouldn't even be able to elaborate, Michelle. You're more the you've been following that a lot closer than I. But uh, when it comes to the the bigger picture of the the systemic racism or systemic oppression, I call it. Um, I just I want to uh, address the, the RCMP on how they might be able to solve that, is by actually um, hiring more Indigenous officers and take the force of police force take. think about police assistance remove the the physical nature of it you're here to help us not put us in jail okay and jail will cost more than rehabilitation in any case and uh and so uh and i know this because i've been through the foster care system i've experienced it personally i struggled i ate out of a dumpster at the age of 15 i've had police question me at the age of 15 if i'm in a whose car is that you know, well, it's not mine. Well, did you steal it? You better call them and make sure t- that they're okay to have it. Stuff like that in Regina, like uh, where I grew up in Regina and uh, and why I left in 2002 and, uh, um, and stuff like that. So th- there's definitely solutions that we can look at and remove the force from police force, um, take more mental health training, especially on these um, safety checks, Michelle. Now, uh, I had a mental health breakdown back in January and... Uh, Geez, I don't want to ever want to go to that dark place again. But I uh, have to question the RCMP on their um, uh, protocol on uh, on checking on people like that. They basically kicked in my back door, dragged me out by my face, and uh, Constable Brackenridge like put his boot on my face. Now I couldn't, I didn't record any of this. I I, um, I should have. Um, but I, they they took me to Alex, Royal Alexander Hospital in downtown Edmonton for no reason at all. Just threw me in the cop car, took me to the city. The people talked to me and said, "Yeah, well, you got some anxiety, man. You know, you just got attacked, and the RCMP don't want to do anything about it. And now the RCMP break down your door and attack you. Of course, you're going to have some trauma and anxiety. And uh, here's some medication, and we hope you get better. We're going to give you a free ride back to Westlock, which costs taxpayers another 150." cab ride. so we're throwing money out the freaking door here with the RCMP and with this healthcare system and so uh, we can we can definitely do better on the safety checks we don't need RCMP doing those safety checks we can have uh, uh, community directors or healthcare agents that are working in communities doing that part um, I really don't think the safety check is uh, a legal measured are, are really legal because if you're entering somebody's house without a court order you're just going on the fact that somebody said maybe they're suicidal or you know are they suicidal um are going to harm themselves or somebody else and uh how can we approach that better um and we've seen one death over a safety check i think it was in brunswick or nova scotia i can't recall exactly and then we've had some safety checks and recently where it's the same situation, you know, um, people are videotaping the RCMP coming into their house and watching them pull a victim out by their hair. And, uh, that's basically me, but, uh, a guy, you know, and if I had fought back, I could i just imagine I would probably still be in jail. Um, so that's that. I think that the RCMP could, um, remove the idea of them doing a the safety check and have somebody that's um, more of a mental health professional and you know the the RCMP should be close by you know there are some people that could be unstable you don't know who's behind that door when they open it Uh, so I get why there's they're concerned about the safety of the person that's doing the check Um, uh, so that's that's all I can really elaborate on that Michelle and uh, thank you for bringing up the RCMP discrimination because that hits home with me I've had at least seven experiences and uh, no convictions everything gets thrown out of court and damn near fifteen thousand dollars on freaking lawyers come on i could have spent that on my 6 year olds education now i got to spend it on lawyers and nobody will run a gofundme i've asked my metis community and and uh well you know you're just you're well off carl so we're just gonna leave you alone
0: yeah i know it's a lot of injustice and i i'm sorry to hear that and i i appreciate it it's hard sometimes to talk about these things and that's why you know, obviously, you know, you can contact me anytime after the podcast, but also why I talk about, you know, the helpline, because it's, it's traumatizing for us. And, and if it's not you that needs it, it might be somebody who listened, who said, oh, this is exactly what I went through. And then tonight have a, you know, anxiety nightmare that wakes them up at two in the morning. That's our reality. And, uh, you know, hats off to other people who don't have that, but that's the complex trauma on top of our intergenerational trauma that we have to deal with, that the Alberta healthcare and uh, nationally they just don't get it, and they I, actually they do get it. And what's insidious is that they refuse to fund it. That's what's the insidious part, and that's why I, I call them out on their you know constant genocide. Because you know, thank God you pulled yourself out of that dark place in January, but lots of folks don't, and that's why our suicides rates are so ridiculous. And honestly. This is a genocide stain black mark on on our country. And until they start to fund these things and are serious about all of the solutions that you brought to the table, the very easy solutions, in my opinion, you know, we're not even close to reconciliation. So I, I couldn't agree more with what you're bringing to the table. And I, I appreciate what you're sharing. Thank you, Carl.
1: Yes. It's uh thank you for allowing me to share those, uh, those situations, Michelle. I, uh, I can't imagine how many people experience that every day and what kind of
0: Like you, out of all people, you and I are are very critical about our taxpaying dollars. And I think that it's such a, even conservatives should be behind this conversation of, you know, if we want to save ourselves money, why are we investing it into the military um, industrial complex, the policing, the justice, um, you know, (laughs) these these complexes really
1: yeah yeah well they justify that to their taxpayers look you and that's their justification when it comes to election time you guys wanted answers on crime here we go we hired some more officers yeah the crime rates know better and uh, we're paying more for it now
0: (laughs) 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 agreed <laughs> uh, <laughs> I second uh, that motion. We <laughs> gotta have
1: a laugh about it, right? Laughter's medicine.
0: <laughs> it is. It is, and that's how we cope with it. It's it's so ridiculous. I really enjoy Walking Eagle News because they just you know they they just highlight the the uh, ridiculousness of it. Like when they find out about this whole you know barbecue enthusiast. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure they're, I, I mean, Alberta just provides them with material every day, it just seems.
1: <laughs> it does. And, uh, you know, and when there's other, there's other um, solutions that we can look at too, Michelle, not just within the RCMP. We can look at how are we harvesting from the land and how can we recognize that land? Yep. How can we do it on a level, on a unilateral um, basis and uh, promote multilateralism? and intersectionality. All people should be involved, regardless. Well, bring
0: it up. You know, we're talking about healing. So here you as a Métis man, me as an Indigenous woman, we're out on the land that is a part of our healing, it's part of our reconnection. In the, the uh, White Bison Society, we always say that uh, culture is prevention. So we're getting back to our culture, we're getting back to the land, we're getting, and we're healing. And and it's so easy to do, yet we have so many barriers when it comes to it, right?
1: Exactly. And I think we can do better by installing um, treaty flags and Métis homeland flags at the terminals, along with the Alberta and county flags. All people should be recognized when that land is harvested.
0: 100%.
1: That would make me just... Oh, I can't even describe the feeling it would give me. Like even when I hear land acknowledgments at board meetings, or even yours, Michelle. I literally just, I'm in awe, and it 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 gives gives me that sense of belonging that was missing.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: So you know, um, not just Westlock has an opportunity here. There, I can't. I haven't exactly sat down and counted how many grain terminals are, um, uh, are actually standing across Alberta that feed into. Uh, an international outlet. Um, But there is an opportunity, not just in Alberta, but all across the country for everybody to just come together and and start looking at our cultures and understanding it instead of hating it and kicking each other and punching us. Get rid of that. We gotta learn how to bring our peace back, bring the peace back into peace country. and, And that's really what's missing up here. So, you know, Westlaw could do better and I encourage Mayor Leverger, Ralph LeRugier and MLA Glenn Van Dyken to sit down and work on a, uh, with uh, uh, the Westlock Grain Terminal and how they can install a flight there. I mean, they've done a great job at um, promoting Dr. Whistle, who basically got rich out of building houses on top of the swamp. So, I mean, you know, they like the, to get rich off of the swamp, but they don't want to acknowledge the people that lived in the swamp or on the swamp. Or yeah. harvested from the swamp
0: absolutely so my family always jokes about if there's a swamp nearby there's metis <laughs> <laughs> it's true <laughs> yeah. oh but that that is creek country too right so i i definitely uh, respect that and i i, I support that uh, something that i recently stumbled upon uh one of our local indian residential schools is actually now private property and um you know, I, I have a real bone to pick with that. I'm going to try to launch a campaign about how much private land is now, um, you know, was formerly uh, Indian residential school grounds, because, you know, my next uh, section of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission um, book club that I run is the, the missing children and burial sites. And every one of those school schools has a cemetery around it. And that's the problem is we actually don't have a full number of how many dead children there are from these Indian residential schools. So when we talk mm-hmm. about reconciliation, like this is, should be low frang- hanging fruit for all um, you know, municipalities, cities, towns, Hamlets to go have a look at, okay, where was the closest Indian residential school? And um, how do we commemorate that? How do we access it? You know, obviously Orange Shirt Bay, it, I mean, it's one day of the of the year but for the other 365 days we should probably be focused a little more on um, you know the 94 calls to action and now we have the 231 calls to justice the united Nations declaration on rights of indigenous people uh royal commission on aboriginal people and now we have the day school lawsuit that's coming forward so we have like so many things that we need to like really put together and you know you identified as a child that went through the foster care system you know when I ran I, I made a list of all the reports that they had made almost yearly almost an annual report every year about the things that need to change in child welfare and none of it has been implemented all of these studies all of these um, recommendations and zero of it actually implemented so um, You know, to say that there's a lot of work to do is an understatement. I feel like you're trying to do a public service by talking about these things, by bringing these solutions to the table. But the irony is these people actually get elected to do this work and they still don't do it. Um, You know, they go around to potlucks and eat people's food, shake people's hands, kiss babies. Even in COVID-19, they're still doing this, you know. So I I really would like to see these um, other things, like a, a momentum of it to get done.
1: Well I, I just want to comment on the foster care system and how they're working on solutions in the Edmonton area. Um, there was a post on my twitter feed and i i'll uh, I'll go back to it eventually and and send that to you. Um, what they're doing in Edmonton is they've um, designed a program to bring in a middle mother like a midwife or whatever you want to call it um, during crisis and that's usually how children end up in the foster care system there's a family crisis that's mismanaged and and the family just needs a little bit of help to get through that why not have somebody come in live with the child because the child's not the problem the child just needs a safe place to grow the parents need to remove from the house not the child the parents are the problem send the parents away get them fixed bring them back home but the midwife or whomever, maybe a a, a culturally sensitive person, depending on your culture, um, you know, that would be assessed. But there is a program in Edmonton that's uh, uh, just started here in the middle of September where they're encouraging Indigenous uh, elders to live with Indigenous families that are experiencing trauma, trauma or crises. And I think that's a great solution. If that had happened to me, 30 years ago, I wouldn't have been eating out of an A&W dumpster at the age of 15.
0: Right. Have you reconnected with your family?
1: I mended the relationship with my father. Yep. That's it. I know my father's side very well.
0: Gotcha. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah, It's uh, but it's back to that conversation, though, of culturally safe um, approaches. And, and the truth is we don't fund that nationally. We don't fund it locally. Um, you know, these reports recommend these things, but that doesn't mean it gets done. And then uh, because we still live in a world that it's lateral violence is perfectly acceptable. Like I, I have concerns about a program like that, right? Um, Especially when there are so many other easy solutions to start implementing. So, but if it's working, that's what I want. Um, And I don't know if you know, but my birth that I had through the Peter Lougheed was so awful. Um, I looked into trying to um you know lodge complaints against the doctor and against the staff but it's really like it's it's an an impossible thing to do and lawyers cost a minimum thirty thousand dollars and even then you may not have a resolution so i um where there was a an mla for my area his name was mamie Bular. and prior to him actually was the pc mla and he he's such a dirty dog they actually have warrants out for his arrest and he, he fled the country Um, so when man meat showed up at my door, I just ripped a strip off of him and told him what I thought of his party and the, his Mm. predecessor and, um, and he stood there and he took it and he listened to what I said. And he said, my auntie's a midwife because I I brought forward right away that instead of OBs and all these things we could be, you know, bringing midwives and that it was then that may he uh, funded midwifery in Alberta. So Mm. I'm sad to say like in our generation of you and I, there's so much progress that still needed to be made. Um, so let, I do hope that we get, and now uh, now I'm seeing a huge resurgence or a, a surgence of um, indigenous midwifery, which is exactly what I want for my daughter. And I'm so happy to see that. Um, and I hope that that does translate well into the foster care system.
1: Yeah, that's one solution, isn't it? Yeah. There's gotta be some others. Though. And we need to hear more from the survivors on, on solutions, because they've lived it. I've lived it in another province, but it's still the same system. And, well, uh, and
0: that's why those reports matter, because it's usually people <clears throat> like yourself that have given those solutions and you know, said their truths, and yet politicians still do not have the courage and integrity to actually implement those. So um, you know I'm sad that UCP put forward this Serenity's Law, which was redundant. And it actually wasn't a single one of the recommendations that came out of the Serenity Roundtable that we had here in Alberta. So, you know, when I ran provincially, I had a I had a pile of stuff that I'm like, "Yep, we got lots to do. Let's get to work." Obviously, I didn't uh, inspire the voters, but uh, it's that bigger picture that at least there I had my laundry list of this is the this is what we want to clean up. This is what we want to do. Um, and I always joke that Dr. Kevin Taff has uh, the laundry list as well in all of his books about what to do because um, he was he was the liberal leader during the time of uh, Ralph Klein so he had Ralph Klein's laundry list and he he, he cataloged it.
1: <laughs> I want to see that list.
0: <laughs> yeah no they're great books it's like Democracy Derailed and uh, you know all really great books that I just highly recommend and his latest one actually was one that I talked about that a lot of people seem to ignore it because he talked about energy policy and he as an Albertan was concerned about um, how the world is transi- transitioning from fossil fuels and Alberta is so far behind in their mentality. He wrote a whole book on it and you know one ear out the other with Albertans I, I mean actually I'm sad to say all Canadians all, all western world there's actually not a lot of people who read books after they graduate um, university which is a really depressing stat but a reality I guess
1: well and you know I when I graduate convocated college in 2011 um, from business administration in in Lloydminster after my car accident. I, I, I to be honest with you I took a break from reading for a while um, <laughs> but I, I didn't let that stop me I took a break and then I got right into it about a year later and started researching AT so you kind of have to have that motivation of something that intrigues you to continue right and for me it was the metis and uh and i used a lot of the knowledge that i learned um from researching uh doing research papers in college for researching my metis genealogy and then i ended up uh by also using my business administration to get into real estate and uh, so it was a real life changer for me and uh i just wish more people would uh would look at at the uh the potential with it and uh, realize it's there, just have to stay focused. And sometimes you got to take a step back and reevaluate. Did you actually learn from that mistake, you know, and then move forward and take a different approach. And, uh, and for me, um, um, applying that methodology to the Métis Nation turned into success for me as I was uh, elected the vice president of the Edmonton Métis community. I'm a co-founder of the Edmonton Métis community and I used that knowledge I learned in Lakeland College to help our community grow and establish the Alberta Métis Federation back in March.
0: Well I'm glad congratulations on that work. Is there um so if people are in because you're you're from Westlock right now and and you're talking about an Edmonton branch so who does that encompass and who is your membership in the hopes that if there's anybody listening we can get them to be a part of it?
1: Absolutely. My elder in the Edmonton Métis community is Darlene Lynn. our vice pre- our president is Darcy Donald. I've resigned from the community about a year ago to go into protesting. They still want me back, but the Liberals got me first. Um, uh, so we've also got um, uh, some other people outside of the Edmonton Métis community that are integral to the Alberta Métis Federation, and that's Ron Cantel. Ron and Virginia Donald. Um, uh, Ron and Virginia Donald are the elders for the Athabasca Landing Trail Métis community. And while Ron can tell, I don't think he needs any introduction.
0: Yeah, no, Ron Quintel is definitely one of our family favorite conversations too. So um, I totally respect what you're saying there. And uh, yeah, I think it's a part of the Alberta Métis history. And by the way, since you're a liberal, I don't know if you know, but you're part of the Indigenous Peoples Commission. Did you, I, you thought, like did you vote on any of our policies?
1: I did and that's a I just like I think it was two or so weeks ago there there was several policies that I reviewed and I was allowed to vote and contribute to that so I was ecstatic absolutely I took a few days to kind of just review it because yep. um, I'm not up to speed like you are on a lot of those issues because sure. uh, I'm so business oriented um, <laughs> Uh, so I, yeah, exactly. Twitter keeps me up to speed on most of that, but I do enjoy listening to Windspeaker Radio and CFWE out of Edmonton. Okay. Um, and I, um, I participate in all the jigging competitions that are hosted within our community. Even if I might fall down and trip on my butt, yeah, <laughs> pretty sure I'm pretty sure I'm going to
0: break my ankle, but I'm glad you're still doing it because it's good for your health too.
1: <laughs> it's so good. It gets your heart and your lungs just are going. And I tell you, I don't know how those youngsters keep going like that, but I kudos.
0: But you them. see me share some of those videos. I mean, they, they're awe-inspiring. They just, their little legs, I can't believe it. Oh, and, and
1: synchronized too. <laughs>
0: It's true. It's true. Um, you know who taught
1: me how to jig is uh, Métis Bev Bev Lambert.
0: Oh yes. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm so happy to hear that. Her, well, uh, I definitely encourage you to um, also be a part of the Indigenous Peoples Commission in Alberta because I uh, so I'm the I'm the chair by default. So I would love to have you uh, be the chair by default next time. Um, but for sure we need a metis representative on the ipc so i would love to have you i uh, really want you to consider it and then i can start sharing some of my reports with you and if you share a report with me then i can pass it up the chain so that uh one we can give you more of a platform at the federal level but two so that um you know i, I talk about blind spots on my podcast on in on the social media all the time where uh sometimes because you're in it right then and there, like you're an Edmonton liaison for us, you're, you have a Métis filter, so your lens is what we need at the table. So I just I want to make sure that you and I connect on that after as well, to make sure that you you see yourself as part of this, the Indigenous Peoples Commission.
1: Oh, well, thank you for the invite, Michelle. That is amazing. And I'd be delighted to assist the Liberal Party of Canada with their commission on the Indigenous Peoples Um uh, administration side of it, we need more feedback. And that's what the government's missing is feedback. They're not looking to capitalize or or turn it into a communist country. They need to hear what the the communities have to say because, and I can only really speak from a Métis perspective. Um, each community or reserve, whatever however you want to phrase it, is really unique in Its own nature and its own discovery. Um, So they require unique attention and with the platform that Ron Cantel has brought to the Alberta Métis Federation, the federal government is going directly to the community Mm -hmm. instead of to the provincial board, which is great because the community will benefit significantly from that type of an approach. um,
0: Yeah, Yeah. I definitely just want to make sure that we touch all the uh, uh, things that you wanted to touch on before we go. Uh, You sent me some great pictures. Do you really want to quickly go over them with us?
1: Um, Absolutely. Um, Do you have them handy or are we able to put them up on a display?
0: Yeah, so probably what I'll do is um, when I share this podcast, I'll share these pictures so that people can know, um, you know, the importance of them. So. You know, uh, your very first one that we have here um, is a a placard for Dr. Whistle. So when I share that, why is that significant to you?
1: That's significant to me because Dr. Whistle established a significant amount of low-income housing in Westlock. Mm. And he got rich off of building houses on a swamp. Now those people living there are experiencing flooding reoccurring flooding and the town and the provinces won't do anything about it. Well, the NDP had a plan and the UCP ripped it up and I don't know um, but that's quite significant to me. Um, Dr. Whistle is actually a significant contributing factor to how Westlock became a town. Well, not became a town, but developed after um, the 1940s and onwards after World War II. Um, so that's why Dr. Whistle is so important to Westlock. He, he was a doctor, an entrepreneur, and uh, probably contributed to building over 100 houses that really helped the low-income people at that time, but the people living there in this time are experiencing some problems from living in a small.
0: There you go. Um, We talked a little bit about the grain terminals um, and and harvesting rights, but your third one is the the plaque uh, plaque in legal. And um, I can't really read it just because uh, I'm, like you can see, I already need my reading glasses. So I have to like blow things right up to read them. So why don't you tell me a bit about that plaque and uh, the significance to it?
1: Absolutely. Uh, so the the town of Gal, everybody says legal, but it's actually Legal because of the French um, highlighted it uh, as so, uh, to be such. Um, So basically there's two pictures I sent you from Legal. There was one of a placard that um, has some writing on it. And then there's another placard with a bunch of flags and a map of Canada. And there's no recognition of indigenous peoples in those placards. Yeah, they're recognizing the French and all the other settlers that came in and established Legal off of the, which is basically uh, Athabasca Landing Trail town. It was established uh, kind of in between Fort Edmonton and Athabasca Landing. And the original Athabasca Landing Trail went through LaGalle and they built a railroad on top of it. And so this placard is extremely close to where that railroad is. And uh, that's why it's significant to me because we can put a, M- a Métis and treaty flags right there. Boom. Reconciliation. Boom! You know
0: what, I just love that you brought up it's not legal, it's legal, because it's such a great example of our French history that's been erased, that the Métis are so, they are the ones that bring this great French history to to Alberta, and we've done such a great job of trying to erase it so that, you know, some, you know, English uh, speaker like myself has no concept, it's even a French name, so thank you for that.
1: Absolutely. Um, and we, uh, another thing is we call this a sash, but I, uh, everybody says sash, I say le fleiche, le fleiche. So anyways, I'll get back to the pictures. <laughs> I'm getting a little distracted there if I go on with my, my other stuff. So we talked about the, the whistle placard, we talked about the legal pictures. I would also like to quickly um, talk about the grain terminal picture and the picture of me in front of a Métis wagon. A sure. red river cart. Um, so, in regards to the grain terminal, um, how many grain terminals across Alberta do you see like that? And there's so many opportunities for all of us to advance reconciliation by installing a flag right there on a, for the Métis homeland or the applicable treaty that the grain terminal is sitting in. Um, and in regards to um, the last pictures I sent you, Michelle of me in front of a red river cart, I raised my family in the athabasca Landing Métis community because of the absence of reconciliation in Westlock. This is an invitation for Grand Van Dyken to increase reconciliation and bring me back. Yep. Bring me back. I still reside in Westlock, but that's not where my son lives.
0: No, and that's the point. Like I, when I ran, um, you know, municipally as well, like I talk about community and inclusion and I mean, here, here's some so easy like to see examples of the lack of inclusion for Indigenous people. Now that's historical obviously you know they uh, put us on reserves to keep us out of white uh, settlements and the the Métis and you know they didn't have to um, go with that uh, you know past system that we were forced to as well Uh, on the reserve lands, not that it was easy for Métis and not that their lands weren't stolen and not that script wasn't promised and then, you know, taken away. Uh, I never want to uh, minimize what Métis have gone through. My my own father or my own uh, husband's um, great grandmother went to Indian boarding school in the States. So, um, you know, we need to have a bigger conversation about Métis history here in Canada, but locally it's so easy to start instituting and I love the solutions you brought, Carl. Thank you for being on my show.
1: was a pleasure, Michelle.
0: Yeah. So you're, you're welcome to come on my show anytime. And, you know, I'm just going to, uh, to finish off with, uh, I, I basically have the same script in every podcast, but it's important for me to say, because you know, this may be the one time that someone in your circle listens to my show because you're in my show. <laughs> so that's why I say it every time. But the truth is you are more than welcome because you know, we are, we're live and we're taping that you can just chime in as you want to add to what I'm saying. Because, um, you know, it's back to that blind spot, you have, uh, you know, a, a Métis filter that I, I don't necessarily have. So feel free to chime in.
1: I'd be delighted to, Michelle. And okay. sometimes I, I can ramble on and on and on, so interrupt me when I do.
0: Oh, you and I both, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Indigenous have been talking about the issues, sharing our traumas and reports, commissions, and in public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words, honor the treaties, listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with gender equity plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs, services, indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay-straight alliances, they have a lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disability, know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts people, demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendation on the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, multiple reports about child reform, the violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls and Two-Spirit. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational, justice, and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. And I think because this is my first record since Joyce from uh, Montreal, was murdered by those um, nurses. I'll just say that again, we've been saying this for years about health institutions killing our people with racism. Now we have yet another national, actually it's become international example of it. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, they literally have zero business running. It should be understood by all parties local politicians, community organizations, sports organizations. A really great article I said out loud in episode 62 is Truth Before Truth, how non-Indigenous Canadians become allies. I also want to put cultural safety into action to create a safer space for people. Uh, look at it as first aid. And first, if you see somebody um, experiencing some type of discrimination, you have to do something. Having good intentions and thoughts and prayers is not enough. You have to take action to make change. You have to speak out against racism. You have to ask questions with those with more understanding. You have to find allies and create a support system for yourself. And that's hopefully what I'm doing with Carl by encouraging him to come into the Indigenous Peoples Commission so that he has a support system as he talks about his issues that he faces as a Métis man in, in Alberta. Um, you know, and, and create that system so you can advocate for those culturally safe approaches take responsibility for your own learning read reflect ask questions don't expect this to come from indigenous people so like even with Carl a great book that I just recommended in my last couple of um episodes is this one I still have to read it um you know but I don't expect Carl to educate me on everything there is to know about St. Paul settlement right now and if you don't then you're a bad person yeah that's constantly asked of me (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm over hundred episodes in, man, and we're we're barely scratching the surface. So,
1: <laughs> well, Saint Paul, um, because sense. it was it's so significant because it's a river based community, and so many. It, it's a great place to start because that was the kind of building block of all of our river communities prior to uh, 1867 and the incorporation of Alberta into the the the, gov- the Canada in 1905.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, I actually talk about the 12 Métis settlements that there were that were downgraded to eight and then um, take that step further with the Métis Nation. Like there's so many different Métis conversations to have. And this is what I mean about scratching the surface. So you and I should just have our own podcast again and do it. Just talk about this.
1: I'd love to. <laughs> You've got to I, you
0: gotta read this book.
1: <laughs> I'm going to and I'm going to give you a, a suggestive reading. It's called uh, Stolen Children by Jacqueline Maurice. Awesome.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I
1: will read Restoring the History of St. Paul.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, so will I. I got to do that. And it's more fun (laughs) than I have somebody else to do it with. So
1: (laughs) Awesome. I I look forward to discussing that book with you a little more, Uh, especially the the St. Paul community, because it's just um, the court system is based out of there. That's kind of like the headquarters of their court system, too, even for Lloyd Minster, which is weird.
0: Yep. Yep. No kidding. Um, you know what, I'm going to have to end this because I have a meeting at two and we're already two minutes in, so I'll have to finish the rest of this for another day, but I can't thank you enough for being on my show. And I hope, you know, you're welcome back anytime. And I hope that we can connect as you do liberal events that you and I uh, connect on those things and you and I can create even a, a report together so that that way, uh, you know, we can report to the party, what, what we see here in Alberta.
1: Yes, I'd be delighted to work with you further, Michelle. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks again for being on my show, Carl. Till then.